Shalom and welcome again to Seekers of Meaning, the podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Welcome. We thank you for joining us. Um, and again, if you have comments or suggestions, please feel free to email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. As we discussed before, uh, these podcasts are designed to explore issues related to our own aging and the implications of our longevity to our families and to our community. And we welcome your comments and suggestions around future programs and ideas. And again, Rabbi Address at JewishSacredAging.com. One of the more important and ongoing issues that we've discussed a few times, and I know many of you who are listening or watching have been involved with in your own personal lives and your family lives, are those issues surrounding end-of-life hospice care and palliative care. And we are very, very honored and pleased to welcome two experts on this subject uh, to this edition of Seekers of Meaning. So please say hello to Dr. Stephen Goldfine, the Chief Medical Officer for Samaritan uh, Healthcare and Hospice, and uh, Joanne Rosen, who is the Chief Marketing and Public Affairs Officer for Samaritan. Uh, full disclosure, Samaritan is where we live down here in southern New Jersey, and I do um, hang out there a little bit working with their Jewish Advisory Committee for what we call Sukkot Shalom, which is the Jewish Advisory Committee to Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice. So with all full disclosure, um, Dr. Goldfein, Joanne, welcome. It's, it's wonderful to see you uh, on the screen, and I thank you for your time, and more importantly, really, for all the work that you do in the community and nationally in helping to bring these issues to the forefront. So uh, Baruch Haba, welcome. It's nice to see you. Hope all is, everybody's healthy and well. Thank you for uh, having let me, us. Let me, let me start with uh, Dr. Goldfein because I want to get the, some of the basics out of the way. There still seems to be uh, some concern about the term palliative care vis-a-vis uh, -vis hospice care. So could you just define what those differences are? Uh, some people sort of like mix them up or really get scared. Yeah, so, so palliative care really is about following patients that have serious illness and making sure they have the best possible quality of life. So what that means, for example, if you have a cancer diagnosis and you're having severe pain, our goal is to really focus on making sure your symptoms are as well controlled as possible, but also to make sure that your goals of care, what's important to you and your family, is being honored as much as possible. We support the families in any decisions that they make and any goals of care. So we just had a patient the other day that said, Doc, I just want to stay in treatment. That's what I want to do having a lot of anxiety, a lot of pain. We managed his pain and anxiety, kept him in, into treatment. I've had other patients that said, Doc, you know what? I'm tired. I need, I need another plan of care. And we, we made that plan of care for them. So we really focus on the patient's goals, the family's goals, and what's important to them to make sure that they get the best quality of life possible while they're getting their treatment. With palliative care, you can see your medical specialist. You can see your family doctor. You can see your internist, your cardiologist, your cancer doctor, um, as well as get the palliative care team to provide that support for you. Hospice, on the other hand, says that your prognosis is, is more grim, that you have six months or less to live, uh, and that your disease is really out of control, that the medicines and treatments that they've been doing for you are not working. Uh, so then we have a six-month prognosis if disease progresses as expected. Uh, and what we focus there is really on comfort measures, end-of-life care, and again, meeting your goal, but trying to keep you in a home environment or the environment that you choose to make sure you're as comfortable as possible. On the hospice team, you get uh, nursing, nursing care, home health care, chaplaincy, and other support for that. 
So again, the, to make so people understand, just because uh, you have a, a palliative care program does not mean that you are dying. That That's correct. correct. And, and many of our patients in palliative care actually live a lot longer and a lot better, actually. And we're doing a lot of support, um, again, in our cancer patients, our heart failure patients, and they actually live months, if not in some cases, years longer than they would have lived uh, without the palliative care provider and palliative care team. And I also want to make sure that people understand that uh, Samaritan, as other hospices do, they, you work with family, the family system, correct? And to develop a, a, this, this uh, care program, a treatment program, it's, it's not the individual. It's really a system, a systemic, if I can use that term, a systemic approach or a holistic approach. Let me use that term, a holistic approach. It really is holistic. And, and, and we do focus on uh, what is important to, to that patient and that family. I think you're exactly right. You know, we could not provide care for a patient without engaging the family uh, in most situations. Uh, what we've done in Samaritan recently is we've gotten lucky to be able to expand our palliative care program. So not only do you get a, a provider, either a physician or a practitioner, we also have two wonderful social workers that help the families, you know, look at those social uh, determinants of health, you know, things like um, transportation, th things like um, benefits that they have available in the community that can really make a difference for those families. And then we have an RN case manager who helps really to um, work on symptom control and management. So we have a whole team that's providing that palliative care for those patients, again, to make sure that they get the care they need and the whole system gets the care that they need. I, I got to ask you this question because every time we do a workshop on end of life and anything like that, through my work for Jewish Sacred Aging, eventually somebody's going to talk about insurance. Um, um, without, you know, because that, that's a whole semester. Um, uh, absolutely. Are most palliative care, hospice care programs covered by insurance? Yeah, so, 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 so a little different with the insurance uh, benefits. So palliative care, what is covered under palliative care is the uh, provider. So the physician, the nurse practitioner, those visits are typically called fee for schedule, meaning that, you know, when the doctor or the, or the MP sees you, they bill your insurance company and they get paid for those visits. Uh, again, Samaritan, because we've gotten a little bit of grant funding, have been able to provide some other additional services. On the hospice side, most insurances have a covered benefit. So that covers the benefit pretty much fully. So you don't really don't see any additional bills um, for your hospice care, uh, which is, I think, a, a very good thing. So hospice care is typically fully covered. Joanne, I know you've, you've been involved uh, for a few years uh, in the community and, and with um, Samaritan, but I really wanted to ask you about um, this program, because I think it could be a model for other hospice programs, um, Jewish or non-Jewish around the country. You're, you're, you're launching, uh, this, um, a community effort, correct? Uh, through Samaritan. Could you just, in cooperation with a whole series of communal agencies, talk to me about what that is and why you decided to do that? Well, thank you, Rabbi Address. We love to partner with other organizations in the community, whether it's health systems or community organizations, other providers, faith communities. So just a couple of examples would be the India Temple Association. We've partnered many times to um, engage their seniors uh, and educate them about our services and also listen and learn from them about what they're facing and how we can help. 
another partnership that we have for over 25 years is with the Jewish Federation of Southern New Jersey. Um, we've worked with Federation agencies, Jewish Family and Children's Service, all of Home Care, Lionsgate, Continuing Care, Retirement Community. Uh, we're providing all of our range of services from hospice to palliative care to we also have primary care services for people in their own homes. So we're providing those services uh, in collaboration with Jewish Federation, and we're going to be shortly launching a new program uh, called Older Adult Resource Connections with the Federation and their agencies so that we will have a care coordinator, a concierge type person who will be fully aware and versed in all the services that Samaritan provides and all the services under the Federation umbrella so that people can have one point of contact. They may not know exactly what they need or what services might fill their needs. So this person, this is a great go-to person. Uh, they can talk to that person about what's going on, and that person can help them connect with whatever they need in a most timely way, whether it's our hospice care, palliative care, primary care, or counseling, housing. Uh, skilled nursing care, uh, home health care, all the federation services, along with any resources that they might need, including uh, elder, elder care attorneys, financial advisors, anybody that can help them um, shore up their plans and uh, meet their needs for health care and beyond. So I got to ask you this because you lit, you know, you just mentioned this menu of services. So, um, as most of the, we'll just talk specifically within the Jewish community, since that's the focus of, of our work, the majority of American Jews are not affiliated with synagogue, and they may not have the rabbi. So in this menu of services, where's, where, where is that person who calls up and, and is entering this system? How do that, how, are you prepared to develop some sort of spiritual care? You have elder care and financial care and, and, and that, and I know there's a rabbi, uh, uh, um, Richard Simon on staff of, of Samaritan, but the potential is for way more than one and he, and, and he's doing visits to, to in-house patients, et cetera. So is there, an approach that's going to be able to provide spiritual care. Well, as as you know, Rabbi, spiritual care is just as essential as medical care, as nursing care, uh, counseling. It, it's really essential to people who are struggling with serious illness and to their families and can be a great source of comfort. So absolutely, spiritual care would be a natural extension of our work with the Jewish Federation. Uh, and so we look forward to adding that. I, kn I know that Dr. Goldfein could probably tell you many examples of the way that spiritual care through Samaritan has been so helpful and so comforting to our palliative patients and also our hospice patients and, of course, their families. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking because of the of the work that we do together at the, the Jewish Advisory Committee that maybe that's a source to add to the, the pool of resources. 
uh, because we have people who would do this in a heartbeat. We really do. Um, and, and would be, I think, very willing to, to work. And, and this is why I wanted to talk about it because I think it's, a, this is an important model for other, other, uh, hospice organizations around North America that sometimes I think, um, that really need to emphasize the, the role of the spiritual aspect, believing on, in something or not believing in something. But uh, as we've just talked about in the last two two weeks of the podcast, this this spiritual aspect is extremely extremely important. I don't want to put Doctor Goldfine on the spot, but do you want to add anything to what what uh, Joanne just said about your experience? Yeah, I, I I can all agree with with that. I think when we look at the, at a patient, I think that. What we don't do right in medical school is we focus on medicine, but we don't focus on the holistic person. And what we do right in palliative care and hospice care is we realize that the person is not just a medical person, but is, a, in fact, a spiritual person, an emotional person. And we need to really look at all of those domains of a human being to make sure they get the best care possible. Uh, and if we don't look at those um, domains, then we are not get, providing the best care possible for that patient. And I think, again, go back to medicine specifically, you know, nowhere else in medicine do you get the amount of counseling, spiritual support, uh, emotional support, psychological support that you do in the palliative care and hospice world just because it's not paid for. You know, nobody, nobody claims that space, um, and we need to claim that space for our, uh, our patients and our community. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about screening patients for anxiety and some other things going on, which is wonderful, but unless we then use our um, resources to provide the counseling and the support and treatment for those uh, issues, then we're not really doing anything. So I think that you're right with, with our model to add that spiritual component to it, I think is a, is a really important thing and it can really make a huge difference for our, our community and our, and our, our patients and our families. Yeah. I, I am familiar. And we, and we just talked about this a little bit very, very briefly before we, we started. I am familiar that, there's a couple of national organizations, uh, CTAC out of Washington and New Jersey, Goals of Care New Jersey, uh, that are trying to work with legislatures on a state and federal level about advanced care planning legislation, uh, to bring it to, to, to bring compensation to counselors and physicians, et cetera. Um, and even to chaplains, um, with which, um, uh, we had Brian, Rabbi Kinsburner on a podcast in September or October, I think. And he's also been involved in some of that. It's a licensing. It's all, it's all, remember, Michigas. But, um, but I know that there's this, this, this interest growing. Um, but at the same time, there's still a, an uphill fight is, or let me say, is it true that there's still an uphill fight on the part of public um, observation or understanding of the importance of palliative and hospice care. Is there still a barrier in some, in some public relations aspect of this? Could you just talk about the, either one of you just talk about some of that, what you're finding? Yeah. And I'll start and I'll let, then I'll pass off to Joanne. I think there is a clearly a barrier within our, um, communities with the under, again, back to that understanding of what is palliative care, what is hospice. Um, and what is important? What, what are your preferences at end of life? But also specifically in the medical community, because the medical community, much like the uh, regular community, does not quite understand and grasp the difference between palliative care and hospice. And you know, I've been working the last you know, 20 plus years trying to educate 
my colleagues and my physicians, uh, there is hope. We, we are beginning to see in medical training the importance of palliative care moving into the curriculum. So we have some hope that our, our young doctors, our young learners are going to actually be better than, you know, again, my generation that is at this point in time. Um, I, I think the other thing that's really important, too, is that you mentioned the goals of care. Uh, not only are they, are they working on legislation for advanced care planning, but they're working on legislation to provide a benefit or a payment source for that palliative care team so that it's not just the physician or the nurse practitioner being reimbursed. Because what happens now is most palliative care programs, um, not to get too technical into the, into the finances, but are, are losing uh, ventures. We don't make money because if you, if you do the right level of care, the team is so large, you can't support that team with just a physician's reimbursement. Uh, and to have a defined benefit that allows us to have, you know, a social worker, a chaplain on our team to provide that level of spiritual and emotional support uh, would be huge. So I think that's where Goals of Care is actually moving and going. So if we can get a benefit that's defined and paid for by, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, all the commercial insurances, then we'll be well, well ahead of the game at that point in time. Yeah, go ahead, Joanne. I was going to say, it's really, as Dr. Goldfine said, just want to reinforce that it's person-centered care. It's all based on conversations that palliative specialists like Dr. Goldfine are experts at to help patients express their own personal goals of care and then to collaborate with their other physicians to make sure that their goals and wishes and values are honored through the care plan and treatment plan. Um, and we are so such <laughs> tremendous advocates for advanced care planning because that's part of expressing our goals for care. And we advocate for that now while everyone's in good health rather than potentially later in the ICU under duress. Uh, and Dr. Goldfein um, is really the expert in this, not based on his medical training only, but because of the kind of person. Um, I call him Mensch Extraordinaire because he is the most compassionate man and helps people express their own goals for care so that he can work with their other physicians to make sure their goals are honored. He actually teaches other physicians and nurses and others about how to have conversations with patients about their goals of care. And, and so that is a big part of our community service and community outreach. and. You have been a big part of that and a big proponent, Rabbi Address. So we thank you for, for all of your support. Oh, no, no, this is, this is really sacred work that all of you do. I mean, it really, it really is. Cause part of it is, uh, and, and we've talked a little bit of this in, in other me, part of this is overcoming fear. There's a, there's a huge amount of fear, psycho spiritual fear. You know, first of all, if I begin to talk to Dr. Goldfein or Joanne Rosen about my wishes at the end of life, wow, that means I'm going to die. So, you know something, I think I'd rather go to the beach um, rather than, you know, talking about, it, it's very, very, it's like when people sign an advanced directive, uh, we actually have published a prayer that you say, you know, basically says, thank God I'm, I have the ability to make these choices. Uh, and, but it's a tremendous amount of, of, of fear because it really is a not so subtle reminder that we're all mortal. Um, go ahead. And, and that's why I like to try to, when I talk to uh, the community and my colleagues, I like to try to normalize that conversation. We should be having these conversations when we turn 18, because at, at age 18, 
you're, quote, an adult, end quote, uh, and you can make your own decisions. But we need to make sure that we understand that we're all not going to, we're all going to die at some point in time. So what are our preferences? And whether that be at, you know, 25 because of a car accident or at 85 because of a stroke, we all have those wishes and desires. But if we normalize the conversations early on, if our young people understand the importance of having these conversations, by the time you are faced with that terminal illness, it's not so scary because you've had a good uh, time to think about it and have that input for you. You know, you raised an interesting question about the, the, the AT. Talk to me a little bit about your, your, both of your experiences um, between the generations. That, that is it easier to sit down to talk to somebody in their 70s and their adult children in their 40s as opposed to, you know, somebody in their 20s or 30s or teens? You know, I, I, there is no curriculum on this in confirmation classes in religious schools when people say, well, they, why would you do that? I said, you know, because people are starting to drive. They're starting to experience their grandparents or their, or their parents' illness. They're, they have a, a, a driver's license. This is not in the far off distance. This becomes very, very real. Could you just, in your own experience, some of the challenges of translating palliative care and hospice care and advanced care planning and care planning in the, in the different generations? And, and that's a great question because it, it is as complex in each generation as it is in, in every other generation. It's, you know, we talk to our 85-year-olds, and you would think at 85 you would have a good idea of what your life has been and what your, your life should be at the end. Not always the case. And then when we deal with 85-year-olds, we're dealing with 40-year-olds or 50-year-olds that are their, their children. So I think the important part is looking at the, the support system, as you mentioned before, and realizing that this is not in a vacuum. So when we talk to an 18-year-old about you know, advanced care planning, we have to think about their invincibility because 18-year-olds are invincible, and we all know that. Um, the other thing, too, is, is, is how, how physicians view age because there is some ageism in medicine. Really? So we treat, wow. yeah, surprise, oh, wow. <laughs> surprise. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we treat, you know, 40-year-olds much different than we treat 85-year-olds, and we will be much more aggressive in a, you know, a young mom than we will in a, you know, 75-year-old grandma, you know, that may, may be right or may be wrong, but we still have that, that bent to treat somebody younger more aggressively, and we may not listen to them as, as closely as we are listening to somebody that's a little bit older. So we need to make sure that we are paying attention to what the patient is actually saying. And again, going back to normalizing the conversation, you know, and trying to make sure that we have it during the, the light of day rather than the, the midnight in the ICU, because it, at that time we make the wrong decisions. When we're under pressure, under stress, um, we, we tend to, to make decisions that, that may be based in the moment, but not in the bigger scheme of the game, if you will. So I think normalizing the conversation, have it during the day, understanding that as we have different generations, we have different uh, desires, I think it's important for us to understand. No, thank you. Thank you. Joanne, did you want to add anything? No. Doc, Dr. Goldfine does this every day. You know, takes care of patients and families for years and years. So he's the expert. He's our go-to guy. Well, then, then I, I want to ask you a question that also comes under, I think, your rubric. Um, and it really also goes to the expanding the message of what hospice care and palliative care are about. Um, and we've had some of these conversations in some of our meetings, and it's um, uh, <clears throat> Samaritan has a, a, as a group that just dealing with equality, diversity, 
uh, in inclusion. I would imagine that getting the message out as it as it difficult or challenging it can be to a certain community in other communities that may not have a cultural acceptance or understanding of a communal based or holistic family systems, but are really more parochial in their approach to end of life. Plus language, um, you know, the United States of America is made up of many, many different languages. And how do you begin to deal with spreading the message of palliative care and hospice care into into just a, the numbers of diverse communities that you have to do with, each with their own perhaps cultural bias, if that's the right word, cultural bias on end of life palliative care, hospice care, even the vocabulary. Uh, how, talk, Joanne. How do you begin to deal with this? Well. We, we have at Samaritan a, a commitment to inclusion, diversity, and access to our, our services. We recognize that people of color do not access hospice and palliative care to the same extent that us Caucasians do. And this is not just a Samaritan opportunity, but it's a national opportunity for providers across the country. Uh, we have our board of trustees is wholeheartedly committed and our staff, our leadership, all of our volunteers at every level of the organization. And we believe it's important for our staff and volunteers that we should reflect the diversity of the community that we serve. So we're actively recruiting um, more diverse staff and volunteers. We believe that we should provide um, increased access for diverse patients. And that requires us listening and learning to people in our community uh, so that we can hear from them directly. What do they want? How do they see us? What are the barriers? What can we do um, to be more accepted and, you know, to help educate more people in the community about the services that we provide so that we can increase access? At the same time, we work to educate our staff, our volunteers, and we approach every single person in our care with great humility and respect. And we want to get to know each individual. And we ask, what do I need to know about you? Tell me more about you so that I can provide you with the best possible care. So again, approach each person as an individual with utmost respect and humility and compassion. But it's, I, I would imagine the challenge can be sometimes overwhelming when you're dealing with multi-generations and who perhaps are coming from cultures that really, they don't even understand what the concept of holistic medical care may even can be. And Dr. Goldfein, you, you, you teach physicians, nurses about this. How, how difficult is it to walk into, you know, perhaps other culture physicians and nurses at, from different cultures and trying to understand have them understand what you're doing yeah that, that, that is tough and New Jersey actually has one of the one of the, the most diverse uh, physician communities in the country actually we're a very diverse diverse community I think it comes down to um, not putting your own biases on that provider or that family I think that's very difficult uh, oftentimes you know, and this is part of my training. Is I was actually my, my degree in co from college was in anthropology, actually. So um, I, I I have a 
a nice background on this and, and an opening, an open mind to these cultures and cultures. And so I think that's helped me a, a great deal to do that. But really understanding that, that, that our culture is not the best culture, that there are, every culture is equal to each other and we can learn something for every culture. So really being open to that. Uh, you know, there are, I tell my, 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 my nurse practitioners and my physicians all the time, you know, we don't always get to the point where the team wants us to get to. We get to the point where the family wants us to get to, and that becomes the goal. And, and there are oftentimes there is conflict. The family says, I want everything done. We need to define what everything means. But if that's their goal, then as a provider, I need to honor that goal. And I need to work very hard to make sure that that patient's goal is met. And if that patient dies in an ICU on a ventilator, then if that's their wishes, that's their wishes. We have to respect that as a, as a cultural dis discussion and determination. So really being open, understanding that your culture is not the best culture, that every culture should be equal and that every voice should be heard, I think is what I try to teach my, my providers, my physicians, as well as the staff in, in, at Samaritan. Joanne, before we run out of time, the, the, the use of Samaritan's website, first of all, if somebody wants to get more familiar with it, What's the website and what, what can somebody find on that website? Well, thank you for asking, Rabbi. Our website is SamaritanNJ.org. SamaritanNJ.org. And we have a very comprehensive website with lots of information about our services, but resources for planning ahead and starting conversations about advanced care planning. We also offer grief support counseling and uh, support groups, uh, and we encourage people to call us directly. Um, because we have uh, our expanding family of services, we don't want people to have to figure out, well, should I ask about hospice or should I ask about palliative? Just call us. We have nurses in our access center, and they are ready to hear uh, about what's going on with each individual and let the, the family members know exactly how we can help. So our website, SamaritanNJ.org, our phone number is there, 800-229-8183. Thank you for that question and all your great questions. No, no, it's, it's important for people to understand this. And, and um, again, we've been talking with uh, Dr. Stephen Goldfein, the Chief Medical Officer of Samaritan uh, Healthcare and Hospice here in Southern New Jersey, and Joanne Rosen, the Chief Marketing and Public Affairs Officer for Samaritan. Um, what's the one message as we close, what's the one message that you want to have people understand about what your work is about? What's the one takeaway that if, if you have all these people in front of you about hospice, about palliative care, what's the one thing? Easy question. Somebody. Fine. Yeah. To me, it's don't be afraid. You know, palliative care is to focus on your goals, to make sure your life is as good as it possibly can be. Uh, but just don't be afraid. We're here to support you and help you. Joanne? We are here for people in so many ways. Please, please call us just to get the information and, and see how we can help. We're, we are community-based, not-for-profit, and we're here to be of service in, to our South Jersey neighbors and friends. And for those of you who are outside South Jersey, please listen carefully to, I mean, the, the vocabulary. And if those of you are involved in a local hospice, um, congratulations, because it's sacred work. 
So to all of you, uh, Dr. Goldfein and Joanne, thank you very much for enlightening us and giving us some insights. And good luck with that the Jewish Federation program, Joanne. I know that's going to really help change lives and wave the community flag um, and de-silo a lot of the uh, a lot of the community, which is which is really necessary, very very necessary. So thank you both of you. Continue good health. To stay safe. Uh, to all of you. Thank you again for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. And again, if you want to reach us, uh, Rabbi Address at JewishSacredAging.com. And if you'd like to make a tax-free donation to help continue to support our work and these podcasts, go to the website, JewishSacredAging.com, and click on the conveniently located Donate button. Seekers of Meaning is produced at the broadcast studios of Lubetkin Media here in beautiful Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And a big shout out to our producer, Steve Lubetkin. To all of you, thank you again for joining us. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. I look forward to greeting you on our next Seekers of Meaning. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, take care of yourself, and be kind to one another. Shalom. Shalom.